Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through to 21. Lots of scripture, but I want to take us to the, to the Christmas story, uh, if you will. And it says this, that in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Ever shout joy? Ever shout joy? That will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you that you will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. Can we just pause there for a second? Have you ever just read the Bible and went, some of these things, how they happen is very weird. Anybody with me? Because I just want you to see the abnormal reality that here, all of a sudden you have all the hosts of heaven, angels singing, glorifying God, praising him. And then the, the, these, these shepherds, the, like they go, hey, that was cool. Let's go see what's going on. Like this very almost abnormal response to this great and beautiful thing that has just taken place. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when, he, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all the things, all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned. This is what I want us to see, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Today, as we continue on in our series, Joy 4, I want to speak to you from the subject, Joy Beyond Words. Joy Beyond Words. As we look at our way to joy being found in the advent of Jesus. Will you pray with me just one more time today? Jesus, we stand before you today, we come to you today with expectancy and anticipation, knowing that at the end of the day, everything rises and falls, not on us, but on you. So in this moment, as we open your word, as we, as we discover what it is that your word says to us, I pray that, that faith would rise in the room, that there would be a hope and an expectancy that is birthed out of it. God, in this room today, there are many situations and circumstances that are represented, and I pray that, that in these few moments today, that all of it would just fall away for a moment so that we could, like the shepherds, celebrate and gaze upon your glory and your goodness. That we would walk out of here today going, what did we just witness? What did we just participate in? I pray that today wouldn't be church as normal. I pray that it wouldn't be regimented or, or that we would just sit back, but God, today that we would engage with all faith and expectancy, knowing that, that you've planned this day, that you've seen every single one of us sitting in here today, that we are here for a divine purpose and a reason. And so God, we thank you. We praise you. We lift your name high today. We ask you to move in this place right now in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, and the church shouted. And the church shouted. Amen. Show of hands, how many of you have had a bad day before? Bad day before. I know, it's not a trick question. Come on, like put them up if you've had them. I'm not going to, like, bad day. Only this side of the room has had a bad day. Y'all need to know this side of the room over here. 
One more time, show of hands. How many of you have had a bad day before? Okay, cool. Now, here, another participation moment. How many of you would say it was a ridiculous, like, like dumpster fire, everything just blew up bad day? Show of hands. Okay, so cool. We're on common ground here. We've all had them. No one's better. No one's better than the other one. I don't know about you, but I hate, I hate bad days. Anybody, like none of us really woke up and, and enjoy bad days. But for me, uh, bad days are, I, I try to steer clear of them. Um, I've told people this before, and if you, if you know me a little bit, I have a tendency uh, to be, a, I was diagnosed with ADHD, ADD when, when I was a kid. Um, it never left me. And so uh, I, I have to like, I have to have like personal hacks in my life to make sure that I continue, because I'm not on medication or anything like that. Some of you are like, really? Um, so... <laughs> I beg to differ. Um, so I, I've learned personal hacks in my life uh, in order to navigate life appropriately and not, and not get caught up in some of the things. It's, it's incredibly hard for me to focus. Um, the term squirrel really does apply to my life. Um, it, it, I can be, my daughter this week, um, she's got two horns on her head now because she's ran into the wall twice. Yeah. Uh, she shares my DNA. This is a common occurrence for my own life, personally. Uh, I've just learned to take it with my chest, not my head. I'm educating her. And so, but uh, uh, because of this, I have to order my life in certain ways and think about things differently. And so when a bad day comes, when bad days happen, it throws, it throws me off. Anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Like how many of you just are regimented people? You have your way that you do things and anything that deviates from that, it's like game over. It's all just, it's done. It's gone. That, that's my life. It's a total deviation. So bad days. So here, here's, my, here's my point. My point is, is that for me, I have to really work hard to stay away from bad days. The problem is it doesn't work. Come on. Like you try to stay away from them and it still happens. You try to stay away from that person and you still run into them in the shopping center. I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. You ever have that, that day where you're like, if I, if, if I could just steer clear of everything and then you see that person that sends like, just me, I'm the only non-perfect one in here, okay. And so I've got to, got to steer clear of things. And so I wake up and I got to pep, like pep talk myself into like, today's not gonna be a bad day. I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to let that, I'm not going to let that. Why? Because I'm fully aware that in my life, bad days are going to happen and, it, and, it, and it's going to frustrate things. The point is though, is that I still face them. I still bump into them. Things still happen. And I share that with you because here's, here's the reality that, that we don't in many ways acknowledge is that we think that the absence of bad days is when joy exists. The problem is, is that's not what scripture teaches us. Because the truth is, is that in the midst of bad days, joy is still found. In the midst of hard situations, joy is still experienced or can be experienced. It's in the midst of bad days that I can still have the thing that I'm wanting so desperately in my life that I actually don't have to avoid things in order to have the thing that I desire the most. And the problem is this, is that many of us are trying to avoid the very place that joy is found the most. We're going we're gonna to work through that because the scripture teaches us explicitly that joy is not the product because it's not the product of the absence of frustrating situations. Joy is the product of a person that we put our life, our trust and our hope in. And so no matter the situation or the circumstance, I have joy. Someone shout joy. 
Turn to your neighbor and say, get some joy. Turn back to your neighbor and say, you don't know what I got. <laughs> All right, so let's, let's boil it down a little bit. I can talk about a bad day, and, and, and a bad day for some of us is that I spilled coffee on my, on my pants. But how many of you know a bad day is a whole lot deeper than that? So I don't want to be coy about it. I don't, I don't want to offer us like just the, the, these small little things. A bad day is when you're still holding that diagnosis that you got yesterday. A bad day is that you're still needing to sign those papers. That means the marriage is over. Real. Can we talk real in church today? A bad day is when you're you're staring at that substance again because you don't know how you're going to make it through this next week with, without it. Bad day is waking up next to that person that you vowed you weren't going to sleep with again. Is it getting too real in church today? Bad day is when you realize that the people that you thought loved you the most went away. Bad day is when the excitement of the pregnancy wears off because it's another miscarriage. Bad day is when you're told that child that you were going to adopt is no longer adopted. Surgery is not going to take place. It's terminal. See, the problem that we face is that bad days have a tendency to be so minimalistic in our minds, but we fail to realize that in this room right now, this auditorium is full of bad days, you just don't know it. Let me say it another way. This sanctuary, because I'm trying to get rid of that word, this sanctuary is full of bad days happening right now. You're sitting next to them. You just don't know it. Because we're good at putting on a front, aren't we? We're good at smiling. We're good at looking good. But the truth is, as your pastor, I'm acutely aware of what got brought into this room today. And then I have the audacity to talk about joy. Because, come on, if you're like me, this is the way I think. I, I, I can't believe this guy. He doesn't, he doesn't know what I'm facing. How could he talk to me about joy? But that's the point. The point is that in the midst of my suffering, in the midst of my hardship, in the midst of my frustration, and I'm not talking about synthetic joy. I'm not talking about joy that's fake and built on circumstance. I'm talking about a joy that's rooted and grounded and produced in Jesus. A joy that no matter what my situation is, I'm in it. So how do we do that? And I, man, I so wish this message was easier. I wish I could give you a message like to teach you how to have joy that just simply meant smile all the time. But I can't teach you that. Do this, do that. How many of you agree with me that it's a whole lot easier to just have a list of to-dos? But that's not how I'm gonna, I'm gonna work through things today. Today I wanna actually help us with some misconceptions. Because I think one of the reasons that we, we don't experience joy is because we don't understand what it truly is or what it's not. 
And so I want to help us through that today. So I'm going to work through some misconceptions, and then we're going to look at some, some misunderstandings about joy, and then we're going to look at some, uh, the, the truth about joy. And then hopefully we can walk out of here today with a little bit more joy, no matter what we are facing. Y'all with me today? Everybody shout joy. Okay, here's the, fir- here's the first misunderstanding. The first one is this, is that joy is only found in the absence of suffering. Joy is only found in the absence of suffering. I love John 16, This is Jesus just being a bearer of good news. He says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you have tribulation. But take heart, I've overcome the world. See, joy is about the arrival of a savior, not the absence of suffering. I'm gonna say that one more time. Joy is about the arrival of a savior, not the absence of suffering. And here's the problem that many of us face is we are looking for the absence of suffering instead of the living savior in our midst. We're working really hard to find peace and to, and to find the removal of all bad things instead of trying to find Jesus in the midst of it all. And so joy is about the arrival of a savior, not the absence of, of, of suffering. Notice Jesus doesn't say in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I'll remove that tribulation from you. He doesn't say that. He doesn't promise that. He promises that he's overcome the world. He says the world will face tribulation, but in him we have peace And he's overcome the world. We have to realize that peace is not the absence of storms, but rather the presence of God in the midst of our storms. I read this quote the other day, and it spoke to me so profoundly. Listen to what this says. It says, sometimes God calms the storm, and other times he calms the sailor. Think about that. Sometimes he calms the the sailor. I don't know how many of you are old enough to remember, but on the playground where I spent most of my days. (laughs) Sorry, I just made myself laugh. That's fun. Um, (laughs) Do you remember those, um, those, those wheels of death? You know what I'm talking about? They had these handles and it, it, it spun. And so all the little kids would hop on and then some big kid would just keep spinning it. And all of a sudden you would see the little kids levitate as they held on. Their legs would just start going, <laughs> going out like this. How many of you remember those things, right? And the, the playground fascinates me. I think, I think the playground is actually just a social experiment. Um, that, that really culture's been built off of because there's wild stuff that happens at the playground. And so you have the one lone kid on the playground who's, who's spinning the wheel of death and all these other kids who are, who are at least intact enough to say, oh, that looks fun, let's do that. And so you've got, you've got one kid spinning and he's, you know, he's just got this sadistic type of joy on his face as he's just like, <laughs> right? And the other kids, their legs are out, they're just, ah! They're screaming. And then if you remember, this is like honest to God truth. You remember this. There's one kid standing in the middle. Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? This is what's crazy about the, the playground is that all of us have had the same experience on the wheel of death. So kids spinning, kids flying in the air, right? And then there's one kid standing in the middle of it. Completely balanced. 
How many of you know what I'm talking about? How many of you have seen this kid before? And it's all, and it's spinning around. He's just spinning in circle, but he's not moving. He's not falling off. Kids are flying off and, and this big is spinning faster and faster and faster. And people are throwing up in the corner and there's like all kinds of things. And then there's one kid who's got the ability somehow to stand anchored without holding on to anything. And he's just spinning around in circles. I don't know why I gave you that illustration. Um, God doesn't stop the storm. He calms the sailor. I want to offer us that in Christ, the wheel of death is not stopped. We just learn how to stand in the midst of it. Joy anchors us. And here's the problem is that many of us are praying the prayer that goes like this, God, can you take away the storm? And he's like, no, 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 I'm not gonna take it away. The answer to that prayer is no. I'm gonna station you in the storm. I'm gonna anchor you in the storm. The enemy is trying to move this thing as hard as he possibly can. I just want you to be the guy that stands. I just want you to be the girl that stands. I want you to be the one that is anchored. Joy is not the removal of trials from our lives. It's the ability to stand in the midst of them and find a degree of pleasantness in them. Come on, think back to the playground moment. That kid that's standing in the middle, like if you remember this, this is, this is what's bizarre about this moment, is he's the one that's smiling. He thinks it's awesome, Right? So he's standing there smiling for joy. He's like, wee. And these guys are flailing about to fly off. They're, they're freaking out. So joy is the ability to realize, oh, I'm on this ride. Joy is the ability to realize that I'm on this ride of life. But oh, come on, somebody. Jesus is anchoring me. I'm, I'm standing in the midst of this. I'm, I'm finding my balance. I'm finding my ability to stay in it. That's what joy is. Joy is the ability to, to find myself anchored in the midst of it, not the removal of it. Here's the second misunderstanding that we've got to work through is that joy is only found in receiving. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Many people believe that when they arrive or get to where they think the end destination is or getting to what they want or getting to where they are supposed to be, that that's going to be the onset of the joy. It sounds like this. Once I get that promotion, then. Once I get that pay raise, then. Once I get the house, then. Once I get that degree, then. Once I get that girl, once I get that guy, then. Once we get married, then. Once I'm no longer dating, then. Once I'm, you fill in the blank. Once I get to where I'm wanting to go, then I will receive joy. The problem is, is that how many of you have realized, like I have, once I get to where I thought I wanted to be, I realize it's not where I wanted to be. There's something more. And so therefore I'm now not joy filled anymore because I want something more. And then we get on that cycle and it's something else and it's something else. Have you ever met the person that perpetually sees themselves as non-joy filled because every point of arrival never meets their need? Every point of arrival, there's always something, there's always something more. Can I be, can I be an honest pastor today? Is that all right? Some of you are like, is there been anything else? Um, 
Okay, so honest pastor moment. I'm just going to give you, this is like online too when I, when I say this. Some people have asked, have asked me before uh, many times, this happens a lot, especially right now, like how big do you want the well to be? Because for pastors, like they enjoy large churches, right? Because that's a sign of all kinds of different things. I refuse to answer the question. Here's why. Here's my answer, just if you're ever wondering. Whatever, whatever God's potential for this place is. If y'all keep coming, great. That's fantastic. And, and there's growth. Because here's what I've discovered. If my success and my joy is found on a number, the number always changes. It's a moving mark. Because I remember when we launched almost nine years ago to eight inches of snow at Olympus Junior High, when four people showed up, we were pumped. You can ask the team, I used to stand outside going, are people going to come today? Are people going to come today? Are people going to come today? And so I had something that I would, like, it was, and I, and I had to get to this place where I started to realize, wait a second, it will always be a moving target. Because how many of you agree with me, my humanity is never satisfied? Oh, come on. My humanity is never satisfied. If I'm just making 50,000, 70,000, 100,000, 150,000, 200,000, our humanity is never satisfied. So it's got to be found in something else. So the problem, the reason that joy escapes many of us is because we believe that joy is found in receiving. I want to submit to us today that joy is actually rather found in giving. And I'm not, I'm not talking about money. Cool, that's one portion of it, fine. But I'm, I'm talking about the giving of myself. The giving of myself to the journey that I'm on. And who I'm becoming as a man, who I'm becoming as a father, who I'm becoming as a friend, who I'm becoming as a pastor, who I'm becoming as a, as a leader. That's the journey that I give myself. And what, what are you becoming? What are you giving yourself to? Because if it's constant journey, it's like, okay, joy is going to be found here. Many of you have experienced you got to here and here didn't have that great of a payoff. You ever notice the same problems exist at here? Because the journey to here, I never did the work of dealing with me. Y'all have heard this before. You are where you are at at all times. <laughs> I know, deep and profound. <laughs> but it's the, it's the truth. So the second misunderstanding of joy is that joy is only found in, in receiving Here's the third misunderstanding. Joy is found in my doing. I want to free some of you up today. Write this down. This is going to be one of the most profound points you've ever heard in your entire life. Okay? Y'all ready for it? Here it goes. You ready? Stop doing. Stop doing. And for some of you, won't even write it down. Because you're like, no, uh-uh, that's completely wrong. Stop, stop doing, no way. That's, that's an impossibility. And you're working your mind around, do you understand what I have to do? Remember the story of Mary and Martha? There's this moment in the Bible where you have these two women and, and, and one of them serving Jesus and she's running, she's running around and she's, she's trying to make sure that everything is right and she's doing, doing, doing. And the other one sits at the feet of Jesus to hear his message. The other one sits at the feet of 
to receive. And the truth is this, is that so many of us are trying to do ourselves into a place that simply if we would just sit for a moment and stop doing, you will receive what it is you're looking for. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop doing. See, you don't even say that with enthusiasm. Some of you right now are like, that's the dumbest point he's ever made. Stop doing. So I'm reading this book right now called The Benedict Option. And it's a story, it's a, it's a, um, a manifesto, if you will. It's a, it's a book about this guy named St. Benedict. He was, a, uh, he was a monk. He started a monastery and the book goes through all these, all these things that his monastery would do and eventually the rule or the option that he created for, for life, so, hence the Benedict option. And the summation of the book, the premise of the book is this, is what would it look like to live a monk's life in a modern world? Which is a, which is a crazy assertion. One of the things they do at dinner is they eat silently, quietly. Could you imagine that? Just staring at each other, eating silently. The problem is that that the issue with our Western American culture is that we actually don't know how to be. We need to do. Some of you right now, you're pretending like you're taking notes, but you're writing your list of to-dos. Come on, he'll never know he can't see my phone. Yes, I can. Because there's something, there's something twitchy that happens to us when we stop doing for a second and being. We've been in this house remodel that we've been working on for nine and a half years. And <laughs> so one of the, one of the things, this is gonna show, I'm going to show you how simple I am. One of the things that I was probably most, most excited about is transitioning our fireplace from a wood fireplace to a gas fireplace. That was what I was most excited about out of everything else. Not the countertops, not the, not the cupboards, not, the, not, the, not the, the gas fire. And I was anal retentive over it. And when there was problems coming up, I'd be like, listen, I don't care what you need to do. You make sure we have a gas fireplace. And, and, and the construction guys and even Erica were like, okay, you're being a little bit weird over, the, over this thing. And here's the thing. Here's why. It's because last night is the reason why. Because I sat in my chair. I guess I'm getting to that age where I now have my chair. <laughs> Can I get an amen in church today? Yeah. And so I sat in my chair and I just watched the fire. And, and, I, and I didn't do anything. I was reading a book for a while and then I put it down and I just sat there and I watched the fire. The kids were asleep and the dog was laying down and my wife was hanging on the couch, my mom was hanging out and we just, we just watched the fire. We just sat there. And it's amazing what happens when you stop doing for a second. When you just sit back and, 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 and the presence of God is in a space, not because I'm trying to do my way into his presence, because I'm being in his presence. Here's what I want to offer you today. Some of us, the reason we don't experience the presence of God is because we're doing ourselves way past where his presence is at. Let me ask you this question as a point. Is it possible that we are building something, you are building something in your life that Jesus never asked you to build? 
And because I was so preoccupied with this thing that I wanted, I went past the place that he was at. These next couple days leading into Christmas, I wonder if we can just stop doing for a second. Is this helping anybody today? That if we can just stop. Here's what I love about Moses. He, he gets to the burning bush and he, he takes his shoes off. I wonder how many of us today in this moment, this, this church service, could say today I took my shoes off. As a representation of staying, don't literally take your shoes off, please. But it represents this idea of staying for a minute. When people come over to our house to have dinner with us, maybe you're asked this question, they say, should I take my shoes off? And my answer is always yes, because it means you're actually hanging for a while. If you're in my, sh- in my house with your shoes on still, it means that we've got a barrier between us. You didn't come to sit at the fire, you came to do something. I just wanna encourage some of us today, some of us need to start walking into church with the mindset that I'm gonna take my shoes off for the next hour and a bit. I'm gonna worship with my shoes off. I'm gonna listen to this word with my shoes off. I'm gonna drink coffee in the lobby with my shoes off. It'll change, it'll change everything. Church was never meant to be something that we do. It was a place that we come to in order to be. The community of faith that God has called us to and we take our shoes off. Is anybody with me today? So the second, this, th- this third issue, the, the, the joy issue is that joy is found in my doing. I wanna, I wanna just encourage you that today you can find joy right in this place because you simply took your shoes off. All right, so that being the case, we looked at three misunderstandings of joy. Let's now consider what the truth of joy actually is. What, what, is it, what does it look like for us? And so there's some things that I need us to understand today. The first one is, is, is this, is that the process of joy is just as important as the product of joy. The process of joy is just as important as the product of joy. I think for many of us, the reason that we don't experience joy is because we're so focused on the product of it, the feeling of it, the emotive reality of it, than we are the process to get there. I want to read a piece of scripture to you that I think is, is really important for this, this idea. John chapter 16, verses 16 through to 24 says this, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again, a little while and you will see me. So some of his disciples said to one another, like we are right now, what is this that he says to us? A little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. And because I am going to the father. So they were saying, what, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him. So he said to them, is this what you were asking yourselves? What I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. Come on, somebody. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but you will... 
but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy for you. No, nothing can take your joy from you. Not a situation can take your joy from you. That's the promise. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy may be full. Joy full. When I give you this next illustration to kind of drive this idea home, I want you to understand that I do not minimize many of the experiences of women of women in this room today, especially when it comes to the area of childbearing, childbirth, adoption, so on and so forth. But for the sake of the illustration, I want to be able to just talk personally for a second with something that we've experienced three times in our life, the birth of our children. When my wife first got pregnant with our son, Justice, it was an exciting moment. Come on. We're so pumped about it. And as it progressed, there became the seasons in the journey that were like, she didn't, I didn't know who she was. She didn't know who she was, right? <laughs> Come on, how, how many of you know what I'm talking about? One day she's one thing, the next day she's another thing, right? One day things taste good and then the next day I offer the same exact thing and you would have thought I gave her literally a pile of hot garbage, right? So all these things are happening. She's, she's growing and she's, her body doesn't look the same and she doesn't feel the same. And one day she's ready to, to, to run a marathon and the next day she's ready to just lay in bed all day. And all of this stuff is happening. And, and for the ladies in the house today who have been pregnant and given birth to children, you know what I'm talking about. It is the, mo- it is the most excruciating pain that you've been through. During, during, like We as men, we will not be able to fathom it. Guys, just so you know, shake your head and nod. Yes, you will not be able to fathom that, all right? It's a pain like no other. It's a situation like no other. And so you get into the hospital room. And it's a whole other thing that's going on. There's screaming and groaning and pain. And, and I'll never forget sitting there now for three kiddos, sitting in this situation and watching what's going on. And there's this moment after she gives birth to our three kiddos that everything goes away because of that child that's laying on her chest. And here's what's so crazy is that the joy that has been given is what causes her to have the willingness to go through the process again. How many of you agree with me? When there's things of pain that we focus on, like we go through in life, we try to avoid it at all costs. Ladies, you astonish me when it's like, let's do that again. (laughs) Come on, right? And some of you astonish me even more. You're like rolling five, six deep up in this church. (laughs) It's always fascinated me. I, I use that illustration because I want you to hear the heart behind this. The, the, it's the journey that produces the joy. And when the reception of that joy comes, there's a desire to go through the journey again. I wonder what would happen if we started to look at life a lot like that. 
Here's what the Bible says. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. See, joy, for us to grab a hold of joy and get joy in our life, we have to understand that the process of joy is just as important as the product of joy. Number two, every shot number two. Here's the second thing you need to understand is that the proclamation of joy is just as important as the possession of joy. The proclamation of joy is just as important as the possession of joy. I'm going to keep on saying it. The proclamation of joy is just as important as the possession of joy. In other words, when I have joy, there should be a proclamation of joy. I don't just have joy to keep silent. I don't have joy just to keep to myself. I have a joy that is from God himself. And so because I have it, I use it. Because I have it, I proclaim it. I give joyful shouts, joyful praise to my God. And still, some of us are like, how do you do that? So I've been asked this question, why does our church clap so much? Come on, how many of you know what I'm talking about? Some of you, this is your first week here. You've already started to notice it. We sing, we clap, we worship. We do that because when I have joy in me, that's what comes out. It's the faculty of my joy, right? In our house, the parish household, we have this saying that, that like we always say, I love you. We always say it. Why? Because I never want my kids to think twice about it. You ever heard somebody say it like this before? They're like, well, you know what's in my heart. No, I don't. I have no idea what's in in your heart. Last time I checked, the Bible tells me that the heart is inherently wicked. So I don't want to assume what is in your heart right now. (laughs) I want you to tell me what's, what's in your heart. That's why we give encouragement. That's why we say we love one another. That's why we, that we, we breathe life into people by articulating the thing that I have. If I got love, I want to say it. If I got joy, I want to say it. If I've got peace, I want to say it. I want to proclaim what I have in Christ because it's only on behalf of him that I have what I have. I got that joy, 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 joy down in my heart, down in my heart, down in my heart. There's like five Christians in this house right now. (laughs) Every moment that you read about joy in the Bible, it's followed up with the action item, rejoice. Okay, so I'm gonna just be a coach for a minute. I'm gonna take the pastor hat off and I'm gonna be a coach for a second. Can I do that? I'm gonna coach us as your pastor. We moved into more square footage in this room. And I gotta tell you that it's a daunting process for us and our team. Here's why. One of my greatest concerns as the pastor of this church is that we lose some of what we had because we moved into more square footage. And it's a reality. Some of you have come from those places. Some of you came to the well going, I was hoping for, like I've been looking for a smaller church. And it felt that way in the beehive over there. Everybody's scrunched together and everything. So what happens is that we, we lose a lot of the atmosphere and a lot of the, the reality that was there in, in more confined spaces. I just want to encourage us not to lose that. doesn't matter what the square footage is. We should be able to give God our praise, give God our joy, give God our worship. It, it, it doesn't matter. There may be more people in the room, but it, it, it shouldn't matter. Do you guys see what I'm trying to say here? 
Don't back, this is not a performance. This is not a place where we come in and we, we are sterile. It's just a larger sanctuary now. So we've got pilgrims and guests and followers of Jesus trying to figure this thing out. You may be kicking the tire on faith. You may be trying to figure out what God is doing in your life. Welcome to the sanctuary. You can let it all down at the door. But I want you to know that when you step into the house of God, there is a joy in my heart. So I'm going to worship. There is joy in my heart. So I'm going to praise. Oh, come on, is there a praise in the church today? Come on, is there some joy in the house today? Got that joy, 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 joy down in. Let's put it this way. Joy is not joy until we proclaim it. Proclamation is the ownership over the gift and the possession of it. If you got a new car yesterday, you drive it to church today. You drive it to your work. You drive it to your family's house. You drive it to wherever you're going. Why? Because you just got a new car. So you want people and you want to be proud of what you own, right? So you, you drive it. Whether you agree with that or not, I mean, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just using the illustration. But when you, when you own something, you, you, you put it on and you use it. If I've got the gift of the Holy Spirit in my life. If I've got fruit that is in me because of who is in me, then I use it. I sh- if I got peace, I'm going to sit in peace. If I got joy, I'm going to proclaim my joy. If, I'm, if I got longevity, if I got all the things that I have in it through the Spirit of God, oh, come on, somebody, I use what I've been given by God. And so some of us need to tell our face what it is God has given us. Smile. I see some of you who are working on your smiling. It's awkward. It's okay. Like, I got joy. You got to use it. You got to use what Jesus has given you. Is this all right? Is this helping anybody today? Here's the last truth right here, and then we're going to land the plane. The person of joy is just as important as the power of joy. The person of joy is just as important as the power of joy. Jesus is the person of joy. He personifies joy. I want you to hear this today. Without the person of Jesus, we lose the power of joy. Without Jesus, it's synthetic joy. It's produced joy. I want you to see this. Like, Grapple with this for a second. Without Jesus, you're working all day long to produce something in and of you or in and of your situation. So I need everything to go right. I need everything to go the way I've planned it. I need to have what I want. That's where joy is at. I've heard this story before, but it bears repeating. I remember going on a missions trip when I was like 15 or 16 years old to Ireland. And went to this place, I'm going to say it wrong, but I think it was called Oma or Oma, however you say it. We were at this small little church and it was right near the projects. A few weeks after we had left this church, there'd be a massive bomb that would go on 
during the marches. And a lot of people, I thought hundreds of people would lose their life. Weeks after we left, I remember driving on a bus. This is a bunch of kids. This is how wild we were with mission trips back in the day. Much of us on a bus to go out, all the guys, we slept in a circus tent in the middle of a field in Ireland. And I'll never forget this. It was crazy. As we're driving out of the city, you could see the other city and there was a haze of orange glow around it because it was literally on fire during the Orangemen marches. And so our fearless leaders led us out into a tent in the middle of a field and we were stopped. Our bus was stopped by militia, machine guns. And I'm like 15 or 16 years old. You just oblivious to what's going on in life. So... We're in this little city called Omaha. Small little church. Amazing people. We're doing ministry there where like you would do like, you would like put body movements to words. I don't even know what to call that. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you do like stories with your arms. Um, So I'll never forget after one of the breaks, I stood out in the gravel parking lot of this, of this small little church and I met this nine-year-old boy who was a drug dealer who carried a gun and a knife who had been in more fights and seen more death than I will literally ever experience in a lifetime. One of the hard, like, and I was afraid of this nine-year-old boy It was, a, it was a mind-bending experience for me because here's what I witnessed. We played basketball with him. And I watched this nine-year-old boy take everything off that his current situation required of him. And he found a joy like I've never seen before because somebody played basketball with him. When you go on missions trips, you'll go to places like Africa and Mexico and Southern America. And you'll be entertained as a guest in the house of people who have nothing. And yet every single person that's come back from mission trips is the same exact thing verbatim. And it's like God's trying to teach us something. They say this, I don't know how people with so little have so much joy. Every time. I say that for us because I think it's important during this season to remember where our joy is found. Our joy is not a substance that's found in gifts and things. Our joy is not a substance that's found in everything going the way that we want it to. Our joy is not a substance that you're gonna find on shelves and in supermarkets. It will not be delivered by Amazon. You will not pick it up in bulk. Our joy is found in a person. His person, is, his name is Jesus. And he was given and he came as an infant and he laid in a manger. Oh, he was the smallest hope you would ever see. But eventually that boy would grow and that man would carry a cross and that man would be placed upon that cross and on that cross you and I would have forgiveness and on that cross you and I would be gifted eternity and on that cross Jesus gave us everything it's joy oh come on somebody it's joy and it's not because of what I have, it's because of what was given. 
He exchanged the wood of a manger for the wood of a cross. And I don't know what brought you in here today. I don't know what situation you're facing or what circumstance you are staring down, but can I tell you that the process is worth it because it's in the process that we find the person. It's in the process that I gaze upon the beauty of the person of Jesus. He's not found on smooth seas and stable boats. Oh no, friend, he's found in places and spaces that are hard. He's found in places and spaces that don't make sense. He's found in places and spaces that don't look the way that you and I want them to. And that was what was bizarre about him. Jesus showed up. Farm animals and shepherds. Straw and stables. He's found in the process. So for me, friend, I have a joy beyond words. Sometimes my joy is only articulated with a shout. My joy is articulated with some hands being placed together with shouts of praise and shouts of joy. Oh, come on, is there joy in the house today? Oh, come on, is there anybody that's got a shout of joy in the sanctuary today? Oh, come on, church, can we give him some praise? Oh, can we give him some honor? Oh, we praise you, God.